to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Bullock. And welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fullock, and today we have a great show. I have a great guest with us today. Um, before we get there, I just want to remind everyone, if there's topics that you want to for us to talk about on the show, please feel free to send me an email at info at stone-road.com. And let's see about getting you on the show to be a guest or find a guest to talk about the topic you want, want us to uh, cover. Um in saying that, I'd like to introduce our guest this week, um, the Distinguished President of the Disaster Recovery Institute Canada, Mr. John Yamyuk. Am I saying the name right, John? Yes, perfectly. Thanks, Alex. Great. Welcome to the show. Thank you, and thank you for the opportunity to talk about uh, DRI Canada and the things that we do. Well, that's exactly what uh, I want to be able to touch base on today is all the wonderful things DRA Canada, of which uh, I am a member. By the way, I just make sure everyone knows that. Uh, John, can you first, before we get into uh, Disaster Recovery Institute Canada or DRIC, can you tell us about a bit about yourself, your background, and where you've come th- come from, and what you've done in the past to get to where you are today? Okay, I have uh, 37 years' experience in the telecom industry, and the last 16 or so of that was in the business continuity world. I joined that quite by accident. I was actually in in management leadership development, and uh, the company that I worked for was building an EOC and starting a continuity management program. And they had done some checking and with or benchmarking, I guess, better way of putting it with other organizations, and decided that uh, the most efficient way of setting up the EOC was to use joint space. And the decision was made to use the training center that uh, that we were using at the time. I was a key holder for that facility, and they said, you know, if a disaster occurs, we can't predict when it'll occur. We need someone that has access on a 24-hour basis. So I was asked to join the team as standby member, and after the first uh, bit of training, they said, uh, we've got some opportunities in the uh, EOC itself on the team. Uh, would you be interested? And my my philosophy over those years within the telecom industry was not to uh, close doors behind me or, or in front of me, sorry, and burn bridges behind me. And I thought, you know what, this is an interesting opportunity. I'll take advantage of it. So I went through a number of training exercises, a number of of um, actual exercises, a couple of events. And then uh, we went through a reorg, and I was asked to join the corporate uh, continuity team. So that was in uh, 96. Early 97, went through the uh, DRI training, got my uh, CBCP shortly afterwards, and continued in the business continuity world from that point on uh, in various capacities at a corporate level, at a business unit level, um, then back to, to corporate Managed and worked with teams uh, for a number of different events through those years, uh, did planning for uh, the G8 here in Calgary, Kananaskis for the telco that I worked for, uh, did planning for the uh, world championships in athletics in Edmonton. Again, we were the, uh, uh, the telco provider for that, uh, event, uh, the 2010 Olympics, 
uh, worked with uh, various external agencies, Public Safety Canada, Industry Canada, and also in 2005 got the opportunity to represent a telecom industry on the Canadian Standards Association uh, standard for continuity and emergency management, Z1600. And I joined as a member and then moved up to vice chair. Currently, I'm the uh, chair of that committee. I've been a member of the uh, DRE uh, West chapter, um, involved with uh, multiple events, multiple planning events, uh, and just continuing on. I retired in 2013. I'm sort of semi-retired now, but still have a passion for the industry. So I'm continuing on with business continuity management. Um, I've joined the Instructor Corps for DRI International, DRI Canada, in 2007, continuing in that role. I'm part of the uh, mentorship team with DRI Canada. Joined the board in uh, 2014, and just a few months ago was elected as president. I'm also chairing the uh, DRI Canada Awards of Excellence uh, program and um, representing DRI Canada on the new Continuity Resilience Today conference that's uh, coming up here in uh, May of, of next year, the 29th to the 31st. So involved with that, still have a passion, so keep keeping busy and enjoying what I'm doing. You, you did say you're retired, right? <laughs> Semi-retired is the way I describe it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't sit around doing nothing, and uh, I enjoy what I'm doing. So um, I'm also, you know, as part of that, sharing sharing the knowledge uh, that's uh, that's there with others that are just coming into the industry, uh, whether it's best practices or uh, tips and techniques, so that folks aren't uh, repeating the mistakes of the past or uh, incorporating best practices into uh, their programs. So, yes, I'm I'm retired formally from the telco industry, but still active in the continuity management industry. Oh, well, that's good. And congratulations on the uh, the new post as being the president of uh, DRIC. Well, thank you. I know you're new to it, but uh, welcome aboard. It's uh, I, I hope you can uh, you share your experience and knowledge with all of us who are members. So I look forward to seeing where DRIC goes in the future under your leadership. Well, thank you. Uh, so, uh, just a point of clarification: um, you mentioned you were part of DRE. Um, is that the Disaster Recovery Information Exchange DRE or Disaster Recovery International DRE? The just, Information just Exchange leaders. Group. I'm I'm part of the okay. DRE West uh, group as a member. I was a uh, a director. I served a year as uh, as president, and uh, I'm currently past president. So another thing to add to what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> So how did how did you get involved with DRIC then? I know you mentioned you became a member and you got your your, uh, your certification, but getting involved on the level you're involved is different. So how did you? What made you want to you know pursue you know really getting involved, not just kind of being a membership side of things? It started in part through work that I did uh, leading up to Y2K. We worked uh, within the telephone industry across the country and into the uh, the U- with the U.S. counterparts, and did some joint training. And one of the individuals that uh, was part of the telco team said, uh, "You know, you've done this training before within management leadership development. You know what you're talking about within the business continuity industry." Um, are, are you interested in becoming one of the instructors for for DRI Canada? And at that time, I kind of thought, yeah, maybe someday, but not right now. And then I had a few other queries about uh, joining the team, and 
uh, joined the team, the instructor core team, like I mentioned, in, in 2007. And one thing led to another, got involved with some uh, counsel and advice for different uh, activities that uh, DRI Canada was doing. And then the opportunity came up uh, for a vacancy in the directorship for uh, for DRI Canada West. And uh, I'm based in Calgary, and uh, one thing kind of led to another, and uh, they uh, asked if I'd be interested in in joining the board, I had again experience with with other organizations like the DRE, the DRE West Group. Uh, I was chair of the Canadian Telecom Emergency Preparedness Association for for two years, so I had some of that experience and, and just continued on. Uh, again, you know, continuous learning has been something that's been part of my mantra. Uh, so just continued on, and then the opportunities opened, and the rest, as they say, is history. I think that's a good point you brought up, the, the continuous learning, because I'm, I'm finding that even though I've been doing this for 20 years, that talking with people like yourself and, and others that have been on the show, I'm still learning, which is great. You know, and I think that's maybe something that you want to bring to DRIC. Is that something that, uh, you know, you want to you want to instill in other members? It is. Uh, I, I still, uh, to go back to your earlier question about, I thought you said you were retired. Um, I still take in conferences and and webinars and things like that. And I look for, for nuggets that I can use to share with, with other folks, whether it's uh, in presentations that I do or to supplement, uh, you know, from an example perspective, uh, the courses that we offer. Uh, it's to share that information, and it's it's current information. It's not something that's you know 20 years old or or whatever it is. You know, here's the latest. What's the most current threat, or or what's the current trend? Um, those kinds of things. So it's something that uh, uh, that I believe in strongly and have for for years, and and continue to to do. I, you know, it, it's an hour of my time, but I look at it as an investment uh, in in me, and something that I can share with the members and with students in, in the class and with, I, I attended a session uh, last week at a conference, uh, sharing with the delegates at the conference, here's some things to, to incorporate and some of the, the comments that, you know, you, you provide input to uh, to the delegates and you can see that reaction, that nonverbal reaction, like, wow, I didn't think of that, or you get the questions afterwards. So it's something that I, again, I believe in and have practiced for for years now, almost 40 years, I guess it would be. <clears throat> There's a lot, lot to learn over 40 years. So, do you, do you prefer which? Do you prefer? Do you prefer using your your uh, personal experiences, or you know, capturing all these other ideas you know from other people and you know, attending these webinars? Which do you think is kind of uh, you know the better approach, or or, or is there even a, a better approach between the two? I think from one one perspective is from a credibility perspective within the classroom. Uh, the students are looking for practical ideas. And when you can say, here's what we did. I was in the EOC for 28 straight days or for this event, and here's the things that, that we did to manage through that event. Or here's planning that we did for that. That personal experience and personal um, knowledge is something that folks look at and say, okay, he's been there, done that, got the T-shirt, got the hat, got the pin, and that's something that's that's adding to that credibility. The other piece from from external sources is it's reliable information, and you can incorporate that and add value to the material that that we're presenting as as again part of the instructor core 
or from a presentation perspective. Uh, you know, you talked in, in your uh, introduction about preparing for the unexpected. You know, what's unexpected? We know certain things happen at certain times, yet when it happens to us, you know, ransomware as an example, or cyber attack, we kind of go, wow, I didn't think that would happen here. Or, you know, didn't expect this uh, level of seismic activity or this uh, level of, of illness or not going back to the 2009 pandemic. Uh, you know, initially expectations were that it would be as, as bad as the 1918 Spanish flu. It didn't end up that way. It didn't start somewhere else. It started in North America. So, you know, things are expected and unexpected and whatever help we can provide to folks, whether it's, it's existing members or, um, new members there or new folks that are joining the industry, uh, it's all information that can help them on this journey. And, and I think we still have a long way to go in, in some areas. How so? Um, in, in what, what way do you think there's still a long way to go? I, I think in part, some of it, uh, and I alluded to this earlier with just my own, uh, some organizations still look at the continuity management world as a cost as opposed to an investment. Um, you know, we've gone through some tough economic times in the last few years, and, and I know organizations and individuals that have been cut loose from the industry, and you kind of go, how do you survive if, if an event was to occur? Um, you know, you, you don't have that that resource in place to help manage through the event. Um, and sometimes organizations get lucky at just, you know, like the old Fram commercial, you can stop maintenance, but at some point you can pay me now or pay me later. And it's, you know, just that, that cultural thing. And, and just from last week and talking to folks, they kind of go, well, this is an emergency management situation. Well, you may not need your first responders, your police, fire, ambulance uh, to manage through an event. It's not a, doesn't require that type of a response but you need to continue your operations to continue to provide the products or services that your organization is charged with and is expected from the consumers or the customers, uh, clients, whatever term you want to use, they're expecting that that's going to be available. Um, and when it's not, you know, expectations have risen. I know coming from the telco world, you know, folks were expecting wireless service, you know, five bar service, no matter where they were, no matter what time of day or, or night. So, um, the expectation is that we're continuing to be available for the products and services that we offer and that they're there on a continuous basis. And there's been a number of events that I've either been involved with or, or heard about where it's not. You know, just most recently, the August long weekend uh, telco outage. And now, you know, it's near and dear to me because it's an industry that I spent so much time in. But you got four provinces that, that had access issues with landline, wireless, internet, uh, you know, affecting all kinds of services. Um, you know, there's all kinds of events that are out there, and, and how do you continue it, whether it's a natural human caused or technological event? You need to be prepared to continue to provide those products or services. Mm-hmm. Do you think that uh, there's still that kind of old adage that it'll always happen to someone else, it won't happen to us? You think that still is why some people still see, or some organizations still see, BCM as a cost and not as a real investment? I think it, that's partly the case. Uh, part of it, I think, is just uh, 
Uh, and we saw it here in Alberta with the Southern Alberta flooding in 2013. So, you know, when they finally settled on, you know, what was the event? It was a one in 200. And then I still hear from folks, well, it's not going to happen again for 200 years, so we don't need to worry about it. <laughs> uh, you know, it's that lack of knowledge. Um, you know, we had a flood in 2005. We had a bigger one in 2013. Who's to say we don't have two next year that are bigger? Uh, so yeah. some of it is just, you know, not knowing, and some of it is um, there's that perception that it's going to happen to someone else or not to me. Um, you know, some of it, it's as a colleague of mine used to say, it's not so much amazing that we shoot ourselves. What's amazing is how quickly and efficiently we reload. And <laughs> it's, you know, it, we kind of look at it and, and, you know, the blinders are on. It, it won't happen to us. It'll happen to someone else down the street or it'll happen in this other city. And, and um, it, it's, that's part of the challenge. It's building that culture in, into the organization so that you've got all employees in the organization saying, why are we doing this? Why are we building a distribution center, for example, in a floodplain? You know, mm-hmm. so that they're aware of, of what the risks are and the implications are. That's right. Well, on that note, we have to take a break. And I'd like to come back and talk, uh, John, with you about building that culture. I'd like to actually touch on that in our next segment. So um, we'll take a break now. We're speaking with John Yamniak, uh, the president of the Disaster Recovery Institute Canada. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. Being here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern-day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration, which opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss being here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern, with Ariel and Shia Kane right here on the 7th Wave Network. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullen. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Today we're talking with John Yamniuk, the president of the Disaster Recovery Institute Canada. And John, just before we went away on break, you had a great point about building a culture, you know, changing the culture in organizations. How, how do you think organizations should go about doing that? Or, or what, what, 
what do you see as you know changing a, an organization's mindset you know and, and their culture with regards to dr and bcp etc it's it's there's i think a couple of things that uh, to come to mind very quickly here uh culture change isn't something that happens overnight uh it takes time up to uh, from previous information that I've had and, and work that I did when I was in management leadership development to truly change the culture takes, you know, between five to seven years, depending on which resource you're, you're looking at. I think uh, it needs to start at the top where you've got that uh, in part the champion and it ties back to establishing the need for a program. Uh, if you've got the champion in place, uh, that culture can then start to grow. Uh, the organization that I worked for started a program in 1988. Uh, that was a result of the uh, tornado that uh, that went through Edmonton on July 31st of, of 87. And the organization lucked out, and it was truly luck. Um, they lost a, a telecom switch. And the organization leadership at the time said, we can't rely on luck. We need to have... Uh, a way of continuing to provide services no matter what we're faced with. And they made the investment, and that's continued from, from 88 through till now. Uh, I still keep in contact with, with the folks in, in that area. And the program is still there, still strong, and, and it's gone through mel- multiple changes in, in leadership, uh, multiple reorganizations and, and mergers and acquisitions and things like that. But that senior leadership commitment to the program is is still there. There have been challenges because questions are asked, do we need to, to do this? And in part, tying the program, the business continuity program, as tightly as possible to the organization mission and, and goals. Now, here's why we're here. We're going to continue to provide these products and services. So again, that strong senior management commitment and, and champion and tying the program to the organization mission and goals, whatever it is, public, private sector, not-for-profit, the tighter you make that linkage, um, folks will start to understand that process. And then there's some smaller things you can do, again, from a communications perspective, um, getting information out to to the employees within the organization, to the partners uh, that, um, you know, as, as we've seen with, uh, as a result of the Japan earthquake of 2011, uh, Motorola, as an example, uh, has an expectation that uh, as a supplier uh, to that organization, you must have a proven business continuity management program. So tying it into your supply chain that here's what we're, we're looking for. Uh, so folks know that if they're looking to bring in new suppliers or renew suppliers, that that's part of of what the organization is, is expecting and what they're looking for. Um, part of awareness and training, here's what it is. Uh, as new employees join the organization, having a piece on the continuity management uh, disaster recovery is part of new employee orientation. Um, you know, we've got a program bringing in the the members of the business continuity team into that orientation program, whether it's uh, actually delivering the piece on, on continuity management or providing the content and, you know, here's the website and, and getting that, uh, that messaging out. And part of that messaging is, is doing stories. Uh, the organization that I left, we used to do monthly stories. Here's what's coming up. Um, you know, it, we're now into uh, the start of, of the annual flu season. 
So at the beginning of October, we'd have a story with a quote from someone in the continuity management team or the extended team to say, here's what we're doing to prepare for this upcoming uh, season. Um, you know, we know, and again, from an unexpected perspective, we don't know how bad certain <clears throat> events will be. We know that hurricanes occur, for example, between July and November. Uh, we've seen through, you know, Harvey and Irma and, and Jose um, what the implications have been. Uh, but we put a story out in, in late June to say hurricane season is starting for those that are in the areas. Here's what uh, what you can expect and things to do uh, in the seismic prone zones, sending information out about what to do if there is an earthquake. Um, so part of that awareness and training is just getting information out to the employees, whether they're existing or new, and reinforcing that message. I think those kinds of activities would go a long way towards that cultural change. You brought up a lot of uh, good information there. One one I'd like to uh, touch base on is you mentioned the stories, you know, things that are coming up. Um, do you mm-hmm. think that it's worth uh, also looking at things that maybe have happened since the last, you know, uh, communication where you sent that kind of information up? Is like here's here's what's happened in other companies or other places around the world, you know, and would we react the same way? Would we respond the same way? Would, could, could we address this situation? You know, so like using a bit of a lessons learned from, you know, possibly the mistakes of other organizations. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm going to digress slightly. And, and the, the, uh, the lessons learned is one of my pet peeves. They're, they're only learned after they're applied. I hear this a lot, you know, lesson learned from this event. We learned that this didn't work. Uh, so what have we done to change it? Well, we're still working on it. It's it's not a lesson learned. It's a lesson identified. And as part of those stories that I alluded to, uh, we would include that. You know, in, in 2013, we had this event that occurred, and here are the changes that we've made to improve the program. Um, you know, whether that's to have folks prepared on a personal level or things that we've done on a, on a corporate level to, uh, to make – continuation of our products and services that much more reliable. And I agree. The organization I, I, oh. that's much more resilient. I agree. I've heard uh, lessons learned. Uh, a lot of people say that, and I come across it in books and webinars everywhere. And I, I have the same feeling, you know, until we've actually done something about this lesson, you know, we've made some sort of a change, a mindset change, a document change, a change in something that we've incorporated. We haven't really learned anything. We've just observed it. You right. Know, so, yeah. and and I I completely agree with you on that. So, um, how let's move on to the Disaster Recovery Institute Canada itself now. Um, mm-hmm. Can Can you tell us about the organization? Because I I have noticed over the last couple of years a little bit what looks like a change in focus. You know, um, uh, almost a rebranding to a, to a degree. So I'm just wondering, you know, where the Disaster Recovery Institute uh, Canada is going, you know, what your plans are for it, and, you know, can you give us some insight on on the organization? Sure. Just as a bit of background, we were formed in 1996 as a member-owned not-for-profit organization, and that continues uh, through to today. Uh, We have done some rebranding, and uh, we're making some changes to, uh, simple changes to, to some extent to our website, but uh, the, uh, the, our purpose is to provide education, certification, and recognition for, for our members. Uh, we are affiliated with DRI International. They were formed in uh, 90, 1990, or 1988, 
And uh, we deliver DRI International products, uh, the various courses and certifications. Um, we've um, made some changes in terms of some new direction that we're, uh, we're pursuing. Uh, we have, uh, we're in about month two of a new program that we'll be launching mid-next year. And we will be offering for those members that are, are listening in the BCLE 2000 course uh, will be available online. So that's a new initiative that um, that we're we're launching. Uh, we've got a project uh, that started, like I said, about two months ago, and that course will be available online. Um, you know, the days of uh, the BCLE 1000, where you were in court in class for for nine days, folks don't have that luxury of of time to be away for for ten days, nine days of classroom, and then the last day or half day for for the qualifying exam, um, and uh, we're going to continue with uh, with the courses that we currently have. Uh, we're bringing in some new initiatives. Um, we're uh, I'm in the process right now of, of Canadianizing the risk management uh, course that uh, DRI offers, um, so that we've got more Canadian content in it. It'll still tie back to uh, to the original content. But some new courses, we're bringing in the uh, risk management course and associated certification. Um, a couple years ago, we launched the healthcare uh, course and certification. Uh, we have the um, the audit uh, course and certification, whether it's the CBCA Certified Business Continuity Auditor or CBCLA Certified Business Continuity Lead Auditor. So those programs and certifications are, are still continuing. Uh, we're also, from a strategic perspective, um, We've just renewed and will be formally signing off with DRI International, the International Associate International Affiliate Operating Agreement. That's the agreement that we have with DRI International. Uh, we'll be signing that off in in early November, uh, coming up here in actually about two weeks' time. And uh, through that, um, we'll uh, we'll move forward and bring in some additional new programs. We're investigating a um, new program that's been in place within DRI International, the Resilient Enterprise and Hub of Excellence. Um, those are programs that we're, we're currently looking at, uh, more so specifically focused on Canada. We're doing some work with uh, new Canadians, folks that are um, new to Canada and uh, we're going to be offering some programs related to continuity management. Um, we're doing and continuing. We did our first session last year at Centennial College in Toronto. Uh, again, part of the DRI International offering, the Collegiate Conference Series. Uh, we just had meetings uh, late last week and again another one coming up this Friday for a Collegiate Series event uh, in Edmonton. We're going to be tying that in with Business Continuity Awareness Week in May of next year. So some new things that, uh, that we're doing there. We're still continuing with the existing uh, course delivery, whether it's in English or, or French for the, uh, um, the DRI or the BCLE course or BCLF course, uh, the uh, uh, preparation for the qualifying exam for those that are uh, uh, more uh, uh, seasoned practitioners, the two-day uh, 501 course to get folks prepared for the exam. Uh, some additional initiatives that we're looking at is to grow the membership uh, overall and specifically within the certification levels, moving the ABCPs to the CBCPs, uh, moving the CBCPs to the MBCP. Um, 
adding additional certifications as part of the Resilient Enterprise and Hub of Excellence program, there's a requirement to have the CBCA or CBCLA uh, designation as part of the verification that uh, the organizations are, in fact, uh, their programs are what they say they are and that their uh, whatever opportunities may be there are, are addressed, identified and, and addressed. Uh, we still have the Education Commission in place. We have six members on, on the team, uh, the Education Commission team that works very closely with our instructor corps. So that's still in play, Certification Commission. Uh, we've got nine members on that commission, or seven members, sorry, on that commission. Uh, they work through the, uh, the certification applications, and uh, that's uh, continuing on. So that process is, is still there. From a recognition perspective, we have the Awards of Excellence. We're coming into this year for our 11th annual Awards of Excellence. Uh, we've made changes to the Awards of Excellence. The first number of years were focused on organizations. And three years ago now, we changed to recognizing individuals. Uh, so we have four awards um, teams in place, evaluation teams in place. And there'll be information coming out uh, early January uh, for the Lifetime Achievement Award, for the DRI Canada Builder, for the Volunteer of the Year, and the Student Award and Scholarship uh, for uh, for students that are uh, taking programs that are related to continuity management, emergency management. And uh, not only is there an award, but the uh, uh, a scholarship. And we're also tied in, uh, we're very pleased to be part of, for our second year, uh, co-sponsoring with uh, BCI, the three chapters across Canada, the new uh, Continuity Resilience Today conference that I alluded to earlier. So those are some of the highlights of, of what we're working on and what we have in play and what we're working towards. Uh, we have a strategic plan that we're revising and, and updating that'll be uh, signed off in uh, November in conjunction with the uh, IAOA agreement with, with DRI. And there's some new uh, new things there, succession planning for uh, not only the board, but uh, the uh, instructor core and, and other uh, other parts of, of DRI. Uh, so lots on the go and excited to, uh, to moving us forward. It sounds like you have a crew of 100 people with that list. <laughs> <laughs> no, That's a not, lot of things not happening. Near, not near 100, but uh, we've got a core group of folks. They're committed to, uh, to the... Uh, to, to the institution itself, DRI Canada, and uh, you know they're they're a committed group of volunteers. Uh, whether it's the members of of the board or whether it's uh, the cert commission or the education commission, the instructor core, um, it's it's not a ha- vast number. Uh, and as we've seen this year, we have uh, one new member that joined us uh, on the board. So there's always opportunity to uh, to participate if if folks are interested. Well, you mentioned uh, the conference. What, what's the date of the conference? I want everyone, all our listeners to know. It's uh, May 29th to 31st. It's uh, tied in and with the former World Conference on Disaster Management. Uh, they took a hiatus in 2016. Uh, this year, we, uh, we being DRI Canada, BCI, and uh, the DRI uh, chapters um, were the co uh, co-chairs of, of the program. And uh, we offered uh, on June 22nd a one-day symposium uh, to continue that legacy. 
And next year and going forward, uh, the conference will be a three-day event. Uh, the first half day, uh, which is not part of the formal conference, will include things like a student, uh, student day, uh, pre-conference workshops. Conference itself will start on, uh, one, at one o'clock on the 29th, uh, go through to the end of day, a full day on the 30th and a half day on the 31st. So Tuesday afternoon to Thursday morning, uh, the conference is, uh, is, uh, being held in Toronto at the, uh, uh, Toronto Sheraton. I don't have the uh, exact address here, but the Toronto Sheraton downtown. And um, we're just in the process of, of working through the program, uh, getting the keynote speakers. We'll have at least four keynote speakers and uh, sessions that are uh, going to be offered throughout the, uh, the three days. Uh, the call for papers is, is out right now and will be out uh, until the 30th of, of this month. Uh, the theme is Collaborating for Success. Um, you know, and there are a number of topics that we're looking at there is, or, uh, or focus is, you know, collaboration is a strategy, um, building resilient organizations, uh, dealing with resource constraints. Uh, so the, the information is, is out there now in terms of, uh, getting the, uh, the conference, uh, program in place. Uh, we're going to be getting information out for, uh, uh, members in terms of, of registration, uh, and there will be uh, discounts for uh, for members of, of DRI, uh, DRI Canada, and uh, and DRI and uh, and BCI. So it's uh, it's we're excited about it. Uh, there's some new uh, new things, and it's focused exclusively on the continuity management, disaster recovery, information technology uh, side of of the house. And uh, next fall, the emergency management side, which WCDM included both both pieces, uh, that'll be coming up in in October as a separate uh, separate conference. Well, I've got news for you. I will be attending the uh, May conference. Uh, Excellent. I haven't signed up yet, but I've already got it in my calendar that I will be attending. So, <laughs> so on and that if, note, if are, uh, we are taking a break, and we'll be right back talking with John Yamniak, the president of the Disaster Recovery Institute Canada. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you're listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. Being here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern-day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration which opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss being here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern with Ariel and Shia Kane right here on the 7th Wave Network. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America.
are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullen. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back to Preparing for the Unexpected. We're talking with John Yamnick, the president of the Disaster Recovery Institute Canada. And John, you gave us a fantastic update on uh, DRIC before we went uh, on our last break. Um, I almost don't know where to begin. I had so many questions, but uh, there were there are there's one or two areas that I would like to just kind of narrow in on. You mentioned uh, certifications. What kind of certifications do you offer, and what what do they mean? You know, to globally, you know, if I have a bunch of letters after my name, you know, what 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 does it mean? What what certifications does DRIC offer? We have a, a number of, of different ones. The, the basic is the ABCP, Associate Business Continuity Professional. And what that one requires is uh, successfully completing the uh, DRI International Qualifying Examination for Business Continuity Practitioners. Uh, that is a 100-question uh, multiple-choice uh, examination based on the DRI Professional Practices and the DRI International Glossary for Resilience. So that's the first level of, of certification. Uh, and again, as soon as folks um, are successful in uh, in writing and passing the uh, the qualifying exam, they're eligible to apply for for that level of, uh, of certification. Uh, the next one up would be the CFCP, Certified Functional Continuity Professional. That one is more focused on uh, individuals that are in the uh, IT side of, of the house, uh, again, they need two years' experience uh, within that uh, level of, uh, uh, of certification, and uh, it's, uh, again, successfully writing and passing the qualifying exam and then submitting their application, uh, which includes uh, at least three of the, uh, the ten professional practices and uh, references for um, for each of those, uh, the next level up from that is the Certified Business Continuity Professional, the CBCP, again, uh, needing uh, at least two years' experience in the industry and successfully writing the uh, the qualifying examination for business continuity professionals and providing experience in at least five of the uh, ten professional practices with uh, the two uh, two references uh, for for each of those. Um, and uh, moving up from that, we would have the master's, the MBCP certification. That one requires uh, more than five years of experience and uh, requires the um, um, completion of the master's case study exam. Uh, that one is uh, um, based on applying the 10 professional practices to a case study and implementing or in implementing a continuity management program within a uh, case study environment. And once that's uh, been, or the individual's been successful in, in writing and, and passing that exam, uh, they would have to submit uh, experience in at least seven of the uh, 10 professional practices, including the four core areas, professional practice three, which is the risk assessment, Four, which is business continuity strategy, six, plan implementation or development and implementation, and eight, uh, exercise assessment and, and maintenance. Um, so, again, two references for, for each of those. 
So in terms of specialized um, certifications in the healthcare industry, we have the AHPCP, the Associate Healthcare Provider Continuity Professional. That one then moves up uh, similar to the ABCP to the CFCP or CBCP to the CHPCP, Certified Healthcare Provider Continuity Professional. And that one uh, requires taking the uh, healthcare course uh, again, for the associate, uh, no experience is required for the certified healthcare, two years experience, and similarly demonstrating uh, at least uh, uh, five of the ten professional practices for the certified level and uh, moving on uh, into to that level. So that one requires a separate exam, separate course. Uh, a couple others, the, I mentioned these, both the Certified Business Continuity Auditor, CBCA, and Certified Business Continuity Lead Auditor. Uh, both of those are, again, available uh, and require taking the mandatory uh, course. It's a four-day course similar to the BCLE 2000, uh, writing the, uh, uh, the audit exam, and again, successful completion of that and different requirements in terms of years of experience. So those are the the big uh, certifications. We're also looking to bring in the Associate Risk Management Professional, the ARMP, or the CRMP, Certified Risk Management Professional. That'll be a new offering, a new course that uh, that's coming up. Uh, so those are the big ones in terms of, of certification. And uh, there's fees associated with, with the submissions. The certifications are sent through to the Certification Commission. The commissioners then review the submission to ensure that the uh, professional practices that have been cited, in fact, uh, are activities that uh, the individual has done. And it's, again, at an individual level. It's what we're looking for is the individual to illustrate through their submission what they did, in, for example, in, in developing a, a business impact analysis. You know, how did they quantify and qualify? Uh, what, uh, what were the dependencies that they uh, identified or interdependencies? What, uh, what minimum resource requirements? So it's specifics that the individual has, has completed to illustrate that they have applied the specific professional practice to their, uh, in their job and as part of their submission. Now you have a committee that does that, correct? The certification committee, yes. There's a, yeah. a chair, and there are uh, cert- or certification commissioners that uh, review their assigned specific uh, um, applications that have been put forward. Uh, so there's uh, seven members on the certification commission, plus the administrator from the uh, DRI uh, Canada office, and uh, they... Uh, they set the guidelines and the standards for uh, for what uh, individuals need to have completed and submitted in order to get their uh, their certifications. Again, it's all based on the professional practices, which were just uh, updated and released newly uh, this year. They've been in play for a long time now, uh, but they've been updated, and uh, uh, the commissioners are, are familiar with what's in those professional practices, and uh, they base their assessment. Um, two commissioners review each each submission, and if they have any questions, they'll go back to the individual. If not, then they proceed with granting the appropriate uh, certification. 
So you, you've mentioned uh, a few times now the professional practices, the 10, 10 areas, and I know you've listed a few. Can you kind of go through what those are you know, at a very high level, you know, just a you know, minute or two uh, for each, just, okay. just to give some clarity um, on, on exactly what those areas are? Okay. The, uh, the professional practices form the, the basis for the education that, uh, that we provide and the subsequent um, certifications that, that follow. Uh, as I mentioned, and, and you've just mentioned as well, the, there are 10. Uh, the first is program initiation and management. Why do we need a program? So the, the professional would establish the need for a program, get funding and support, establish uh, the framework for the uh, for the program, and uh, again, project plan for uh, for implementing a program. Uh, risk assessment is the second one. It's identifying the risks that uh, the entity uh, can face um, and uh, affect the assets of the organization. The next one, professional practice three, is the business impact analysis. It's identifying and prioritizing the functions or processes that uh, the organization uh, provides um, and uh, assessing the resources required to support uh, that uh, continuation of those processes. We talk about minimum resources over time, so what do they need for the first, for example, hour or the first two hours, and uh, then what gaps may exist in those resources and and getting final uh, approval from the senior management uh, for the prioritization of the function. So they would do a quantitative, qualitative analysis of, of what the impacts are within six different uh, areas. Uh, then they would d- develop strategies as a, as a result of the risk assessment, which tells us the why, the BIA tells us the who, what, where, when. Uh, the strategies are developed to ensure that those critical functions that have been identified and signed off can then continue. Uh, professional practice five is incident response, and that's uh, developing and, and implementing an incident management system, uh, defining roles, uh, lines of authority, succession of authority, what are the escalations and triggers that, uh, that would be in place, uh, definition of a disaster, and then uh, coordinating incident response with, with external agencies, and, and we tie that one in with, uh, with the last of the professional practices. Once we've got those pieces in place, the next professional practice, which is six, is plan development and and implementation, and it's actually putting this information into a document um, that the uh, entity then or the organization then would use to uh, to respond and recover to to whatever type of of event was to occur. Uh, number seven is awareness and training. And it's establishing and, and maintaining training and awareness throughout the organization for internal and external stakeholders as needed, including senior management, employees, uh, things like that. Professional practice eight uh, is plan exercise assessment and maintenance, again, developing a program to exercise the the plan to ensure that the plan will work as as designed uh, assessment includes audit whether that's internal second party or third party and then a maintenance program uh, so that the, the plans are kept current and and usable uh, nine is crisis communications it's again working with 
Uh, we're not asking the BCP professional to become a crisis communications professional, but working with the crisis communications, media relations, whatever the group is within the organization, to develop a crisis communication plan, ensure that that plan, again, is exercised and provides uh, for timely, effective uh, communications for stakeholders, both internal and external. And the final one is uh, coordination with external agencies, professional practice 10, uh, working with those agencies so that uh, you can establish uh, criterion or make the external agencies police, fire, ambulance, uh, or what we consider the external agencies. So they know, as an example, what levels of ethyl nastiness you may have present on your site. So when they show up, their their life safety is concerned and, and cared for. So establishing policies and procedures to, to coordinate those response activities so they know, those first responders know what we're dealing or what they're dealing with, and the organization knows at what point they can then continue to, uh, to provide services. So that's kind of a quick overview of the 10 professional practices. In 30, in 30 seconds, I'm going to put you on the spot. Which one do you think is the most important that people must, must know? I would, uh, I'm going to answer that question kind of with an it depends, good management answer. The first one, uh, establishing the need for the program. Uh, if you don't have that need, I've, I've talked to organizations that say we need a plan, and they, they build a plan, but if that plan is only used to hold down garbage cans or hold up table legs, that plan is useless. Plan is a product of a program, or a good plan is a product of a program, and then you need to validate the plan will work. So one and eight, to me, are the big ones. Okay. Well, on that, we've come uh, to the end of our show. Uh, I'd like to thank John uh, Yamnik for uh, giving us lots of information about the Disaster Recovery Institute. And I uh, recommend that if you're in Canada or anywhere in the world, actually, try and attend the conference in May, May 29th to 31 in uh, Toronto. Uh, I've got the dates correct, right? John? May 29th to 31st, www.wcdm.org. There you go. There's the website. I recommend everyone attending uh, and looking into the benefits of uh, DRI Canada, especially if you are here in Canada. I've been a member for, uh, I think, since uh, 04, somewhere somewhere around there. (laughs) So, um, you know, I recommend everyone uh, joining, taking a look. And I'd like to thank John for his expertise and giving us some insight on the organization and his valued uh, opinions and uh, um, points of view on everything. There's been a lot of great information here. Uh, So, John, thank you very much on behalf of myself and the listeners. And I hope uh, I can actually meet you in person in May. Excellent. Look forward to it. And thank you as well. Okay, thanks everyone for listening. Again, if there's any topic uh, you want us to talk about, please send me an email at info at stone-road.com and we'll see about getting you on the show as the guest or finding someone else to come on the show and talk about uh, your topic. But thank you for listening. Thanks, John, once again, and stay prepared, everyone. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week.